you know, so just focusing on where's the good in this, you know, could I look at it from a different perspective instead of always assuming the worst. So that's one thing from the book that just addresses that because Martha was worried, you know, and distracted about many things. But I think there's this other way. There's always another way to look at things. And then also what I shared just about the yes, no, and help instead of trying to be all things to all people. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle. Light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Katie Reed. Katie is a published author of the book Made Like Martha. She's a national speaker and co-host of the Martha and Mary Show podcast. She has a master's degree in secondary education. As an inspiration doula, Katie coaches creatives, helping them give birth to their purpose and projects. Katie is a fan of musicals, iced tea, and cut to the chase conversations. She lives in the middle of Michigan with her husband and her five children. Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. This is so much fun. This is going to be a fun conversation. I love the book about Mary and Martha, you know, as we talk about that in scripture. But before we get into your book and all of those types of things, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So I'm Katie Reed. I'm in the middle of Michigan. I'm married to Adam and we have five loud and wonderful kids. I'm a firstborn girl. And so my dad teases me, like, I guess in the hospital nursery, I started crying, led the charge and all the other kids did. So I guess that was, you know, foreshadowing, but I love to get things done. I love to be creative. Um, I'm an author, speaker, podcast host, and our oldest goes to public school and I homeschool the other three and the youngest is still, you know, four. So I am not bored, Rebecca. (laughs) That's great. I think it's so funny to find out you're a firstborn child. And when we're talking about Mary and Martha, because I can always see Martha as a firstborn child, right? right? I'm sure she is. (laughs) Yeah. They're the kids that get things done and, um, you know, have this big list of things that they want to do. And have you ever read anything about where placement in the family or anything like that and how that relates? Oh, yes. to Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's a book called the birth order book. Yes. I think it's by Kevin Lehman. Yes. And I find all that fascinating. And what's really interesting. So in our family, we have an oldest girl, so she's obviously a firstborn, but then after her is my son. So he's a different gender, right? So that's kind mm-hmm. of like having another firstborn. Exactly. Yeah. And then we had another boy. So he was the baby for a while, but then we adopted five years after that. So it's almost oh, like wow. we started again with another boy. And then we had another daughter as our baby who was kind of like a firstborn because she's the opposite gender. So we always say to our middle son, we're like, you're going to be so flexible because <laughs> you have all these firstborns yeah. telling you what to do <laughs> so yeah it's a fascinating book I really loved it, it actually um it's very good in explaining 
myself, you know, and my family and dynamics. I think it's wonderful. But let's first start out. You told us a little bit about yourself, but tell us some background to why you began like this new thought process around parenting and home life and this book about Mary and Martha. Yeah. So like I said, you know, as a firstborn girl, I've always been driven to get things done, but I'm not always great about living a lighthearted life, right? I can be serious because Mm -hmm. it's like, there are things to do. And so for me, I was almost 40 years old, actually, when I had this revelation that what if I didn't have to strive to do all these things? What if I could still do things, but do them from a place of being settled and having peace within versus panic? And so all of a sudden it was this paradigm shift of, I don't have to like make all this happen to prove myself. What if I'm already accepted, I'm already loved, and then I can serve and work and create from that place. And so that really changed a lot for me. I call it, you know, the cobwebs in my head kind of cleared and I had so much more joy, like, and lightheartedness because it was like, oh my goodness, what if I don't have to do all these things, but what if I get to do some of these things and I can do it with joy and I can do it from a place of not trying to strive, but like I said, that settledness. Yeah. And do you feel like, at least for me, I mean, I hit the same light bulb moment of going, like, do I really want to be remembered for having a clean house or, you know, all of these other things that I did. But I realized like a lot of it was a a preconceived notion of what like a good wife and mother should do. Is that part of that whole experience too? Like you realize like there were some things that were important and maybe others that you didn't have to do all of it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my husband used to say to me, he's like, are the mom police coming over or something? He goes, like, I felt like with, especially when our youngest was born, like, what if I, you know, stop nursing her like earlier than my mother-in-law and sister-in-law did? And he's like, that's okay. I'm like, it is. He's like, who are you needing permission from? And I'm like, I don't know. It's these people I feel like are going to, yeah, who knows? Yeah. You know, my, my own unrealistic expectations maybe. But I remember a friend telling me, she said, you know, when my kids are grown, I can clean my basement. When they're here, I want to play with them. And even though I made like Martha, I'm not the tidiest housekeeper, Rebecca. So that <laughs> like, I don't really dust or iron. That's just not something I do. But it is that shift of what's really important. And my kids aren't expecting perfect, you know, even my house guests. I had one friend, we had spent so much time cleaning before she got there because it's not usually tidy. And she got there and she goes, I just love how homey your house is. You know, it's not all picked up and it just makes it feel welcoming. And I about croaked because to us, it was very cleaned up. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just that freedom of, you know, I don't have to keep up appearances. Like, yes, I want to present my best, but it doesn't have to be perfection because that's unrealistic. And I'll constantly be disappointed and discouraged if that's what I'm always shooting for. Yeah. Well, and I love like the joyfulness you said that you added into it because, you know, I love the thought of like, people don't remember like what happened with you. They only remember how you made them feel. I'm totally slaughtering that, but have you heard that quote before? And And that's really true. Like, that's one thing that I realized is I was doing all of these things, homeschooling my kids, and but I didn't have a lot of joy. And I think that came out as a have to. And then I think your children end up feeling like that they're a chore and not somebody who's loved and they don't feel that joy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I wish I could say I don't know what you mean, but I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and here's the thing. When I start barking orders, like we got to clean up, you know, like who's coming over (laughs) and I I don't want them to remember that, you know, that they just felt like I was always telling them to hop to and to do this. And so really I grew up in a home where my mom was a music teacher later on, but she was home with us. And my mom is a great mom. I remember her reading to us and doing these things, but she did not hover. She gave us lots of room to be creative. And we didn't have cable TV, you know, back then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's like, I'm just so thankful that she gave us space to be creative. You know, we definitely felt loved, but I've tried to do that with my kids as well. Like, I don't want them to remember all these, you know, do this and do this and do this, but to give them, yes, there's personal responsibility. Yes. We're going to clean our rooms. Yes. We have chores, but also to give them room to express themselves, to get creative and try out new things. And I want them to remember that too, Mm -hmm. you know, when they grow up. And I think that's part of the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because my mom gave us that foundation. That's awesome. Well, and so as you started doing like I don't know if you researched into the book or your ideas for the book or whatever, like why did you pick kind of the story of Mary and Martha? And do you want to give us like kind of some background to that of like how that all came about is as you're learning those lessons? Yeah. So there's a story in the Bible about Mary and Martha, but if you don't read the Bible, think about Martha Stewart when I'm saying Martha, (laughs) you know, a woman who gets things done, but there are these two sisters They were entertaining Jesus and his disciples at their home. And Mary was listening to what Jesus was saying. And Martha was busy getting ready and, you know, getting things ready for company. And so, you know, Martha says to Jesus, hey, um, will you tell my sister Mary to help me? I picture like Thanksgiving dinner. You know, I don't know if you have to prepare all of Thanksgiving dinner, but that pressure of like, I think everything done and people are just kicking back, like watching the dog show or the football game. And I really wish they would come help me. Yeah. I feel like that's what kind of moment it was. And then, you know, Jesus says to Martha, he, I wish you would have said, Mary, get off your duff and go help your sister. (laughs) Not what it says, but he said, Martha, you're worried and distracted about all these things, but only one thing is necessary and your sister has chosen it. Well, Rebecca, this story used to really frustrate me because I'm like, not only did he not tell Mary to go help Martha, he's then telling Martha, I believe in a loving way, your sister has chosen the better thing in this. And my thing is like, if nobody cooks, who's going to eat? <laughs> so this story, like I loved Martha because I totally got her, you know, and what her yeah. frustration was. And I wanted to look at this story in a different way. I wanted to see you know, what was being said and what wasn't being said. And again, it goes back to, I think Jesus was inviting Martha. I don't think he was asking her to not be a doer because that's what I think people take away from that story. It's like, oh, I must sit and listen and be people oriented more than task oriented. And I believe that, I think we each have that bent in us, right? But I think we lean one way more than the other. I definitely lean towards the task oriented to-do list kind of gal. And what I think is Jesus was inviting Martha to keep serving, but again, to do it from that place of subtleness and peace versus panic, and that it didn't have to be perfect. There can even be joy in it. Now, we all need help doing things sometimes. Like, I'm not saying it should all be on our shoulders, but I really want to look at the woman who gets things done for right now in modern day. Can we learn something from this story that affects us? right now. And what I learned is like Martha was loved as she was. I don't think she was being asked to all of a sudden be a different person, but I think she was being invited to do things in a different way. And so that's kind of what the book looks at. 
I love that. And, you know, in a religious space too, though, it seems like everybody thinks that Jesus is chastising Martha and that we should all be Marys. We always look at like Mary as the good person who is doing the right thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so what's your take on that? I mean, I love that you picked Martha as well, because like I said, I, I've always like Mary gets put up on this pedestal and, you know, like you said, uh, Martha's more like chastised or people feel like she's chastised. But so what do you feel like, you know, the, the message was of love that Jesus gave to both of those women? I, I really feel like him. Like if he would have chastised Mary, you know, he didn't pick sides basically between these right. sisters. Well, and I think, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says God disciplines those he loves. He's treating them as a son or daughter, just like we do with our kids. If we just let them do whatever they wanted all the time, I have just this hunch they might be entitled, (laughs) right? (laughs) And maybe not the most, you know, generous people or something like that. So there's a verse in the Bible in John 11, 5 that says Jesus loved Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. So I think that clears it up right there. He's not saying I love one more than the other. But the interesting thing is the story goes on. So their brother ends up dying Uh and they wanted Jesus to come help because they knew he had healing powers, you know, and so they wanted him to come. Well, he's delayed in coming intentionally. And then he comes and he raises him from the dead but Martha's the one that goes out to Jesus. And she's like, Hey, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Mary was the one that stayed at home. So we kind of almost see this difference here Mm -hmm. that, you know, Martha's the one actually who's exercising this faith and is going to him. And then Jesus reveals his identity, true identity to Martha. He's like, I'm the resurrection, you know, and the life. Like if you believe in me, like you'll live. And so it's interesting too, because after Well, and she expresses that faith that she says to him something like, but I know even now, you know, whatever you say, you could bring him back type of thing. So, I mean, I think you see that side too, that she has this incredible faith, even though she wasn't listening to Jesus while she was trying to do all the serving, she still had that. I mean, you see that later, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so, and then even further, after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, Jesus is at their home again. And it says, Lazarus is reclining, you know, resting near Jesus at the table and Martha is serving and he doesn't chastise her again. Right. And I really believe when he's like, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted. As we talked about earlier, I think that was like, as if he was cupping her face in love, you know, like sometimes with your kids, you're just like, you say their first and middle name, right? But Mm -hmm. sometimes it's because you're hollering because they're in danger, but sometimes it's just that tenderness, like that comfort. And I think that he loved her so much. He wanted something better for her. And I think we had overlooked that too. We had just been like bad Martha, good Mary. Yeah. And I think there's just so, so much more to it. Yeah. And like you said, I love the fact she is a doer and it shows later that she was the one that had the gumption basically to get up and go get Jesus. And that speaks to that doing personality as well. So how do you feel like this book that you've written, like how does it blend with our lives now and that whole process of parenting and all the things that we are trying to do as wives, mothers? And I mean, I have men that listen to, but you know, it's people that are doers. Yeah, well, I think one thing in our current culture, especially before this pandemic, is 
we celebrate those that get the number one spot, right? That mm-hmm. do all the things. And what that's created, I think, especially for women, is this idea that we're supposed to be every woman. Like each of us are supposed mm-hmm. to be able to do all the things. And that's just not realistic. That leads to burnout. That leads to angst. That leads to definitely not lighthearted. Overwhelming. Yes. <laughs> feelings, all yeah. of those things. Like I can't do the things I do and sew my own clothes and have an organic garden. Like bless the people that do that, but I'm not designed to do all that. If I want to be like Mary, you know, sit and talk with people and be present, there's going to be things I have to say no to. So a quick tip, Rebecca, that has worked for me and I think can help a lot of people is three powerful words that we all know, right? Yes, no, and help. So we want to say yes to the things that only we can do, right? Only we can be a parent to our kids or, you know, a spouse to our spouse. But there are other things like, you know, I don't have to be the one to clean my house. I can enlist my kids to help. If I had the finances, I could get a cleaning person. I could maybe swap services. Like, let's say you love to clean and I love to make food. Maybe I can make extra freezer meals and you could come help me clean. I mean, there's so many things that I think we can double our strengths instead of divide it. But it first starts with what are the only the things I can do? And then we would say no to certain things. Because if we say yes to everything, we're actually saying no to things, right? That could be really important. Yes. And the last one that I think is the hardest sometimes is help, right? Because there's wisdom in delegating. It's not a weakness. You know, it can be wise. Now, in our family, we really take a team approach, especially if someone has something really big going on, like during sports times, we might back off on some of the responsibilities those athletes have. Or when I'm writing a book, you know, the family might step up to cook some meals or help clean while I'm on a deadline. And so I think realizing when we ask for help, first of all, it takes courage to do that. And also the people helping us might not do it like we want them to. For example, (laughs) writing, my husband told the kids, listen, we're going to do the dishes. Mom's not doing those anymore. And at first I felt so guilty. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that even allowed? Like, I don't know. But can I just say it's wonderful? However, they do not load the dishwasher like I do. They do not always clean all the counters like I would. And so some of it is letting go of some of that control. Like if I want to say yes to these things, I'm going to have to say no to some things and help to some things. And I've just found those three words can really help give us a margin in our lives. Yeah. So asking for help. I love that too. And that's really one place that I struggle. That's a real challenge for me is asking for help, letting go of that control and having my children do stuff. I know in my heart of hearts, it's really important for them to learn those things. But at the same time, you know, I I have to resist, you know, whenever they help me, I have to resist the urge of not either going in and kind of doing it over them or redoing it. Do you feel like that that's a challenge too of like, can you kind of expound maybe on that process of trying to let go of control? How do control freaks like myself (laughs) make that happen? The the struggle is real and it's a lifelong (laughs) process, I think. But here's one thing that has helped me is I want my kids, like if, let's say if they go to college and have roommates or if they get married, I would love those people to come to me and thank me Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I had my kids, you know, take responsibility. Like I gave them room to learn these skills, right. Of 
cooking and picking up after yourself. Because if I do all those things, I'm really going against the ultimate goal that they're going to be independent adults. So trying to keep that long-term goal in mind can help. But then there's also sometimes I'll ask them to do something and I've really given them no coaching. And that's on me, right? Like I do need to instruct and coach them, but I also have to realize they have different personalities, right? They might have a different way of solving that problem. And it doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. And that can be hard for me who can see things very much like there's this right option and the wrong option. (laughs) And so I think that's a growing experience, but it's really our goal, right? As parents, if we want you to be able to do this yourself someday. And so if we don't give you practice, like we're really doing you a disservice. Yeah. I think of even the messiness of the middle schoolers hair, you know, cause I was always like, I'd have to go in and comb their hair and stuff, but you have to get through that clunkiness basically, like you said, before they start to really excel at it. And it's the same thing as house cleaning or anything that they do, you know, yeah, there's always that. Have you ever heard of the edge method where you enable, you guide, you demonstrate, you, you know, I mean, we have to work through those processes with our kids in order to have them be really competent at it in the end. And like as a homeschooling mom, what is your feeling like as far as those life skills go? And what are some things that we should have our kids help us do a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, first of all, I love that edge method because that is so good. But I think we also have to realize sometimes when they start helping, it is going to be more work at first, but Mm -hmm. again, it will get better. For me, one thing we do with homeschooling is my two boys, now they're like 12 and almost 14, but we've done this for a couple of years. When my daughter went to public school, she is wanting to go into culinary. So she's a great cook. So when our cook left, you know, <laughs> left us in the dust, I told the boys, I'm like, okay, on Mondays and Fridays, you guys each take turns. I'd like you to make lunch. Now, these are not complicated things they usually choose. It's like nachos or, you know, sandwiches or whatnot but they've taken some ownership and they complain, you know, some about it, but I'm like, okay, let me know on the grocery list if there's something you want ahead of time. But that little bit actually took some things off my plate so I could be homeschooling the other kids. And you can see the pride like in their eyes as they do Mm -hmm. it. So for us, that looks like helping with meals, helping with dishes, you know, they need to be good stewards of their room, which is always a interesting battle. But we tell them like, you know, you have this room that's been entrusted to you. And if you don't take care of that, you know, that affects other freedoms and responsibilities that you get. Like we don't want to give you more stuff if you're having trouble taking care of what you have. And so sometimes that means we purge extra things. You know, if this is too much to handle, let's scale back and start with less and then build back up to more. That's actually a really good thought process of how to coach our kids through that, that, you know, in order to get more responsibility, more freedoms and stuff like that, they have to be able to manage, you know, those things uh, for themselves. And I love that. What do you feel like it has been like a big paradigm change for you over time and with experience, you know, as you've gone through this whole process with Mary and Martha, and what's been that big, you know, thing that you've changed that's been a you know, kind of out of the box change for you? (laughs) Yeah, I think for me is I'm a driven person by nature, you know, and love to have purpose and intention. But for me, realizing 
just with, I love personality assessments and birth order and Enneagram, all that kind of stuff, I think helps us understand we are not all going to approach things the same way. And so learning to make room for the different personalities within my home or at my job. And, you know, that helps a lot. And it goes back to what we were talking about with delegating things. People have a different way of going about things. And my daughter and I, we look a lot alike. We have similar mannerisms, but there's a lot of things we're not the same in. And so this idea of, you know, people that are more task oriented and people oriented, it's helped me appreciate some of those differences and not view them as a bad thing. And then also realizing we're actually stronger together. Having two perspectives and bringing those together, it can be frustrating at times. We can butt heads at times, but that actually are two strengths coming together. And so that has helped me a lot, just not in home life, but in work life and in church life and just, you know, extended family to see, okay, they have different bents and they're seeing the world through different lenses. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. Yeah. And sometimes it's easier to see people outside your home that way as it is the the people inside your home. And I think that's where strife comes in with our families is that we expect them to be mini me's or, you know, that we expect them to do everything the way that we would do it type of thing. How do you feel like what you're saying is really disruptive in this area of parenting and being able to manage those conflicts within the home, kind of with that Mary and Martha's paradigm that you've got? Right. Yeah. You know, one thing going back to, I said, I love being creative. That's life giving to me. One thing as I was raised, I said, you know, with space to be creative, that's actually helped our kids. I have one son who's very logical, you know, very black and white thinking. And I remember a friend said to me, you know, what outlet do you give him? Like, does he have a creative outlet to process his emotions? And so I gave him a journal and he and I were laughing about it the other day because he was very factual, you know, like it wasn't his feelings. It was more like we did this, then we did this, you know, and maybe that's more male than female in general, but he actually started drawing. And so just the way he expresses himself, you know, through art is kind of his way, you know, to just channel his personality. And we've tried to incorporate that even to our home. Like if we have to go to a birthday party, it's like, hey, Kale, you know, can you draw this card? And for my daughter, she is more of a writer. So she processes, you know, what she's doing through that. And so incorporating, I know it seems a little disjointed, but actually incorporating the way they express themselves it helps us understand the differences and gives people an outlet to showcase even when the things are hard. For example, when COVID hit, my kids were not thrilled with this assignment, but I said to them, hey kids, I want you each to write an essay about COVID. It has to be, you know, half a page or a page or whatever. And I want you to tell me how you're feeling because they weren't really talking about it, but we knew this big thing had happened to the world and surely they had feelings about it, but they just didn't want to talk about it around the dinner table. So it was so interesting to read their essays. My almost 14 year old son, you know, he talked about, man, this is stupid. Is this ever <laughs> going to change? Why are people hoarding toilet paper? You know, will <laughs> I ever get to see my friends again? But he was being humorous, but there was also some big pain points in there that gave me insight to be able to talk to him, but that he didn't feel comfortable just saying out loud, but he felt okay 
writing it out in this essay. And so incorporating that into our home life has really helped us give insight into these different personalities from different means than just verbally saying it. Yeah. Well, and those creative outlets are so good, like you said, to help them kind of understand their emotions and maybe channel their frustrations and stuff. I I found that like whenever my oldest son was feeling uh, frustrated with something or confused or whatever, he would go down and start playing the piano or pounding on his drums or whatever. And then he could come back and really tackle that. And, but I've seen that with each one of my kids. They have to have some kind of creative outlet in order to work through their emotions. How do you help your children find that creative outlet to help with that emotional thing? You talked about art and stuff like right. that. But Yeah. So it could be art. It could be like my daughter had a blog, you know, where she, <laughs> she would do that for English. She loved to cook. So she'd write about her recipes and, and do it that way. And when she was having a hard time, she's writing kind of like a, you know, sci-fi fantasy book. And so as she's processing what's happening out in the world, you know, she's using that through writing. It could be songwriting. My son loves music too, the one who's an artist. And so I let him download like a DJ app. And so he will mix things, you know, that way. And I have other kids that are more athletic. And so sometimes they just need to go out for a run around our property and work it out physically. I'm that way too. I told my husband the other day, I'm like, when he got home from work, I said, I'm going to go for a run by myself. And he's like, great. Cause he knew I would come home happier. Yeah. And I had kind of worked out that stress. We will return to our show after a word from our sponsors. For the ultimate in backcountry comfort, check out the high quality gear of Teton Hammock Company. Whether you're going on an overnight trip or a week-long adventure, the ultralight outdoor equipment from the Teton Hammock Company will keep you warm, dry, and sleeping like a baby. Their products are made of top quality materials that outperform all others. Check them out at tetonhammocks.com with an S. That is tetonhammocks.com. Hang with the best. Teton Hammock Company. Now back to the episode. That's great. Well, and I, I think, isn't that part of the key too? As a parent, you have to model that, you know, and talk it through with your kids about it, why you are doing certain things. Cause that's what I had to do. Like, you know, I needed different outlets for myself in order to be healthier, but I feel like we have to model that and show our kids by our own actions. Do you have conversations for that as you're trying to model that those creative outlets in order to get those emotions out. Yeah. I don't know if this was like the best example, but when you're talking about your son had to work it out with music, sometimes I just pound on our piano, you know, playing something. And I told my husband one day, he's like, what you doing? I'm like, I am working it out, <laughs> you know, just working out those emotions. One big thing for me during the pandemic is I think, you know, life got quieter in some ways because we're all kind of in our homes and all of this. And I wrote several songs and that's often a way I personally process what's going on. My daughter turned 16 over quarantine. And so I wrote this song about, man, you know, your birthday came and went without a party when you're sweet 16. And one of the lines says, how do you cross an imaginary line when the world feels upside down? How do you find your footing, you know, on the shifting ground? And that was oh, a way that it was helping me cope. But hopefully it helped her cope too. And she saw me working it out. And I think those lyrics mm -hmm. helped her process what she was feeling and put words to it. So I totally agree with what you're saying about modeling that 
or even putting words to it. Like I'm having a hard time right now. So I'm going to go do this and try to work it out. Journaling is a big one for me. I need to write out how I'm feeling because if we never process it, if we just kind of stuff it or we just busy ourselves, it yeah. really is still there and it's yeah. going to come out in unbeautiful ways, right? Yeah, very. Yeah. So I've seen that in my own life. You know, whenever we try stuff that we think, oh, we're, this is how I'm handling it. And then <laughs> it ends up, you know, coming out through the cracks later on <laughs> in very unpleasant ways. So absolutely love that. Well, I'd love to hear more about the message. You know, do you want to just give me uh, like maybe three key points that you would find in your book of things that maybe we haven't talked about? Yeah. Well, I think one of them is really timely for right now where there's so much uncertainty, right? About what the mm-hmm. future is going to look like. And so chapter two, it talks about kind of, you know, I don't know about you, but worry can be my default emotion, right? Like I'm really proficient at worrying and it's like, it's this well-worn path in my mind. And we had a health scare with one of our kids and I had a friend talk to me about that. And she said, you know, I'm praying for you. And she said, you know, where worry has been appetizing, may you grow sick of it. And all of a sudden I had this picture in my mind of how I was sitting at a table and it's like, there's this, you know, mangy dog that's hungry and begging for scraps at the table. And it was like that represented worry. And I realized the more I worry, I'm not actually being productive, right? I'm actually spinning my wheels and it's like I'm throwing scraps to this dog. And the more I throw scraps to worry and feed worry, the bigger it becomes. And it's really not solving the problem. It's just making me more upset and angsty. And so I realized like if I want to not go down that path automatically, I need to retrain my brain to do the opposite. And it can, you know, again, our paths in our brains, I don't know all the scientific words for it, but it follows a certain pathway, especially if you've repeated that pathway over and over and over. And so now when I'm presented with worrisome news, again, I do not always get this right, but Mm -hmm. I try to think what is one positive thing about this? You know, it's not all doomsday. Like there can be a silver lining. Like it was super hard to be quarantined away from people, but it was great to have quality time with my family. You know, so just focusing on where's the good in this, you know, could I look at it from a different perspective instead of always assuming the worst. So that's one thing from the book that just addresses that because Martha was worried, you know, and distracted about many things. But I think there's this other way. There's always another way to look at things. And then also what I shared just about the yes, no, and help instead of trying to be all things to all people. And then lastly, I'll just say, just that encouragement that it is okay to be a doer, a doer person, but we don't want to be so that way that we miss out on our most important people. And that can be a struggle for me. I can, I like to work. I think work is really fun and Mm -hmm. I need to also learn to play, right? And to enjoy that too. And so it's permission, it's affirming, hey, the way you're wired, that's not wrong, but We don't want to use that as an excuse to treat people poorly. And the same is true the other way. If you're more people oriented, that's a great thing, but don't use that as an excuse to not be faithful with your responsibilities of things that are maybe more menial. I love that. Those are so much good advice. I'd love to know too, we we have a podcast. What can people find on your podcast? Do you just talk mostly about these topics of Mary and Martha or do you talk about other 
aspects of life as well. Like the Right. So the podcast is called The Martha and Mary Show. And my co-host and I, she's more like Mary. I'm more like Martha. But we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about embarrassing moments, right? We talk about things about schooling. We talk about living out your purpose. So many things. And so some are funny. Some are more serious. We just are releasing one next week about life-giving choices, right? How do we make life-giving choices when it feels like many of our choices are being taken away right now? No, definitely. Yes. Okay. I love the fact that you have a co-host. That's a brilliant idea. And you said in your bio that you coach creatives. I'd love to hear, like, why did you specifically pick coaching creatives and how do you coach them? What are some things that you might talk to them about? Yeah. So I coach people under the name Inspiration Doula. It kind of my tagline is bringing life to your creative purpose and your creative projects. And I I just so love creative people, right? I love to see what they come up with. But one thing I've noticed is they're not always finishers, right? We can have tons of ideas, but we don't get them done. And as a Martha, I want to help people get those done. And so I do coaching calls with people of just what is this project you want to work on? And it could be there at the beginning, the middle, or towards the end. But we help them come up with a doable plan so that they can move forward. And then also just that accountability. Sometimes you just need to speak out loud. I'm going to get this done by the end of the year. And then we can go backwards. Okay, what steps do you need to take to make that happen? And one of my favorite things is to hold the ladder for other people so they can climb higher, they can shine brighter, and they can get those things done because the world needs hope. And if you have something, words or music or an event that can help bring hope into the world, like I want to help you get that done so that people can benefit from that. That's great. Well, and as a coach too, you're also helping people like better live out their missions. What are some ways that you feel like, you know, that you really work on helping people find that life's mission? Sometimes it's something like we're not really sure of, but all of us have one of those, right? Like, I mean, all of us have something to offer to the world, right? Like, right. And one thing I love to tell people along that same lines is sometimes we think, oh, my big thing has to be like big in the world's eyes. But actually, it could be a quote-unquote small thing that makes all the difference. I mean, I think we can all tell stories about a teacher or a mentor or a loved one that invested in us and believed in us, and that made all the difference. And so I love to help people fine-tune those things. But a lot of what I do is take what people are already doing. For example, I have an author that anytime she writes a book, she'll send me like the first drafts and then I'll go through and ask her questions. I love to help improve things. Even just doing that process gives people momentum to keep going. And I love pulling out those things in people that maybe they don't even see themselves that are just such an asset and can bless and encourage and help other people. I love that. And that is really one of the places that we probably struggle, especially as women. You know, we look around, we compare each other, and maybe, and that's kind of what Mary and Martha were doing, is that comparison, but helping people find, like, the small little things that we do are just as important and provide just as much of a impact in the world as, you know, the big grand things, like writing a book or having a podcast or, you know, anything like that. Do you find yourself being more of, like, that encourager, like, uh, especially for those small little things that we may not even notice that, you know, that's a big part of our mission. Yeah. I love to do that. And I think part of it is too, sometimes 
the biggest impact people have is helping someone else do something. You know, I was thinking, you know, presidents and leaders and all these things, like they had someone by their side or close to them that was giving them advice, that was maybe praying for them, that was helping them to be successful. And so I think sometimes being that number two for somebody and even coaching those number twos of doing things even better, that can be so fulfilling as well. But yeah, I love to coach people at different stages and different things they're doing and just encourage them to take that next step. Because I think we can get so overwhelmed by the next 50 steps that finishing it just seems impossible. Mm -hmm. But to kind of break it down, okay, what's one next thing you can do and to see traction in that. That's great. Well, and I'd love to hear some of the feedback. I mean, we obviously, Mary and Martha is a kind of a religious story. And have you ever worked with people that maybe aren't religious? What's things that people could get out of your book or your podcast, even if they're not a person of faith? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is kind of my mission is I want to help people breathe deeper, walk freer, and not live so stressed out. Because I lived that way for so long. And I remember one particular season, I was working so hard, staying up late, getting up early, not making healthy emotional choices, right? I was just working so hard on this project. I was so burnt out. I was like sick from exhaustion. And I had to get in bed and I was useless to everybody. And I think many Americans in particular, we just run so hard. Mm -hmm. We don't rest well. And there's a whole chapter about rest and how rest is actually a gift. It's not a punishment. (laughs) (laughs) When we actually do rest, we're actually more productive. You know, once we take that break, and I think this whole quarantine and COVID time has taught us that. I mean, look, Taylor Swift just came out with a new CD because Mm -hmm. she had a lot of downtime. And sometimes when we get quieter and we actually pull back some and have some more healthy boundaries, these beautiful things can be the fruit of that. And I think that that's a message we all need to hear. What are you trying to prove? Because what if you're already loved and accepted and then you can work from that place versus trying to gain and grasp for all those things. Well, and those are, regardless of if you're a person of faith or not, those are all things that we struggle with. And and then that is a very American lifestyle of just constantly, like the busier we are, the more we might feel more purpose in our life or, you know, more uh, importance that we might, you know, because we're so busy or something that it's almost a prideful thing, you know, that we feel like if we can stay busy, we're just, you know, we take a lot of pride in that. I love the idea of rest. It's so important. (laughs) I don't think many of us realize that for sure. Do you feel like there are other habits in your personal life that are really important and helpful for better, like learning and growth for yourself? Well, I think for me, journaling works for me. I know not everybody loves that, but I need to process what's going on to really feel connected with what's happening in my life. And so that's something that I do. It also keeps my mind focused, you know, on (laughs) one thing, because I can have this mind that's always swirling and thinking of ideas. So that's another thing, especially when I start my day that way it helps me to feel like in front of things versus like chasing things. When I just have that time to process and reflect. And there's this tool I have that I'd love to share with your listeners. It's called the all done calendar. And I can share a link with you, Rebecca, to oh, yeah, it. Be great. 
But it's this idea that we always have more that can be done. But people that are wired like Martha, that are wired like me, that are, you know, just these doers, we often don't celebrate what we've already done. And so it's called the all done calendar. It's just this blank calendar sheet decorated nicely where you can write down the things you did that day, not necessarily things you need to do, but things that already were accomplished. And then at the end of the month, you'll have this whole month full of things you did and reward yourself, right? Go get some coffee or just <laughs> be thankful for that. Because I think in our society, we're always on to the next thing. We fixate on all there's left to do instead of celebrating what's already been accomplished. And that's just been a really good practice for me of, wow, even if it's like I cleaned half the bathroom today, or I sent out two of the 25 thank you cards I needed to, like, you did something like celebrate that instead of just feeling this weight all the time of all the things that are left undone. Yeah. Well, and sometimes when we look at that to-do list, I, I love the idea that we go back and we like do a record keeping of the things that we did get done. Cause that's often what happens with me is that, you know, I get really discouraged because I didn't get this list done, but especially as mothers and women uh, in particular, people in particular, I mean, things just come up in our lives, right. That we need to handle and take care of. And so we have to celebrate that and put that down. Like, yeah, we did that. Even though it wasn't on the list originally, <laughs> you know, those are also very important important ways that we were able to help. Does that work into the, you have a free interview series called Stress Less and Smile More. Is that part of that as well? I and mean, where you said you have the already to do done calendar. Yes. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So it's just a free video series that you'll get delivered into your inbox if you sign up. And if you just go to kdmread.com, you can there'll be a pop-up there that says stress less, smile more, but it's just a very short video series to help you increase your peace and your productivity. And I'm sure we link to the all done calendar in that as well, but it's just encouragement. It's just simple things. Some of the things we've talked about that really can help people. How can I get things done? And people still like me too, <laughs> that, I'm not just, <laughs> that I'm not just a grouch, right? <laughs> that I'm barking all these orders, but just to, again, live from that place of peace and settledness. I love that. I, I think we could be mirrors of each other because you just described me <laughs> to a T. That's great. What are some long-term goals that you have for yourself? Do you see another book coming out or, you know, different topics on your uh, podcast or any of those? What are some of those long-term goals that you might have? Well, I talked about how I can struggle with being, you know, too serious and not just living as lighthearted. Well, one surprising thing that happened on this writing journey is I have a fiction book that's coming out. It's called A Very Bavarian Christmas. It comes out October awesome. 20th. And that was totally different than Made Like Martha. You know, it's fiction. It's a rom-com. And it was so fun to write that book. I, did, I don't think I furrowed my brow once, you know, because when you're writing about theology or, you know, things that, I don't know, when you write nonfiction, it feels more serious and heavy, but it was just so fun to do something just for the joy of it and the lightheartedness of it. And even my husband, he's like, wow, like you are a different kind of writer. He's like, you're laughing. You're, you know, you seem like you're just having so much fun doing this. And so I would love to write some more, both nonfiction and fiction but it was really fun. The whole family got involved because I would write some parts and then read it to them and they'd have ideas. And that was just a way for me to kind of tap into that playfulness. And 
I didn't know when I wrote this, what would be happening in our world. But I think people are going to need some lighthearted practices, right? I think that's why people are watching funny YouTube videos and laughing at funny memes right now, because we've got to have that outlet. So the weight of the world just isn't, you know, weighing us down. And so that's a part of kind of one of my long-term goals. And if I'm being fully honest, I would love for this to turn into a movie one day. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) (laughs) That would be. That's awesome. It's funny how we just get led to things, you know, we don't really know why. Maybe you were meant to write that book, like you said, to help people through this process. That's a fantastic feeling to think about that. And um, I'm hoping I get the link for that. I don't know if I have that. Uh, When is that book going to be out? October 20. So I know it'll be on Amazon and then also on my website, they can access through there. Okay. I definitely want to link that up because I think it could be just a huge help for us. So, well, if you could leave a legacy, what would it be? Oh man, what a question. (laughs) I think for me, you know, I am a person of faith, you know, I'm a Christian. And so to me, I want to live in such a way that encourages people to live beyond just temporary, right? To think of things from an eternal perspective. And so I, again, too, I want people to remember me by living with intention, but also having fun. And also with my coaching, with the Inspiration Doula, you know, coaching creatives, I want to also invest in others so that they can live out their legacy, right? And to be a person that was a helper, that influenced people for good, so that they can, there's so much negativity, mm-hmm. right, in our world. Yeah. And I just want people just to really live out their purpose, but to have fun doing it and find that fulfillment in doing that as well. And kind of push past that spinning their wheels and the excuses to not offer who they are to the world. It goes back to that comparison thing. You know, if we're like, oh, well, I could never do that. I can never do this, but you have something, you know, you're here on this planet because you have unique things to offer this world and creativity that is unlike anyone else's. And so I just want to encourage people like whether that's, you know, drawing with your kids at home or having a painting in, you know, a famous museum or somewhere in between, like do that thing because that to me, it points to the creator, right? When we express that creativity and uh, it's inspiring. Yeah. Well, and I think we're all creators. Um, I, I heard that once. I mean, when we think of it in a religious or a spiritual way, you know, we came from a creator um, and we are his children. And so we have that ability. It's like this inherent quality that we have. And sometimes we just can't recognize that. I also know like when we understand we have a life's mission regardless of if you're a spiritual person or not or religious person or not that it actually does bring us a lot more joy in life and that we live like our lives with more intention and we raise our children differently and we do all of those kinds of things I actually had heard that like a a study that even if you're not a religious person that the whole idea that you have a mission or something that you need to do while you're here just brings that that extra added bit of joy to your life. Anyway, yeah. I love I love all the things that you're talking about. It's great. Well, I was gonna say it reminds me of Hamilton. We're big fans of the Hamilton musical. Oh, but great. even thinking about our founding fathers, right? Like they were, I mean, what a crazy time in history to be yeah. putting things forth that were going to still impact us today. And there's a song in Hamilton 
and it says, you know, why do you write like you're running out of time? And I told my husband, I'm like, I feel that. It's like there's something compelling me to get these words onto a page because I want to leave that legacy. And so it might not be writing, you know, for the people listening, but what's that thing that just, it gives you pleasure and it benefits others in a positive way. Like do more of that. Yeah. I love it. Well, hopefully we're all doers. I, I love this message. Hopefully we're, we all see that we have that ability to be a Martha and, and also a Mary that we're taking, you know, the best parts of what we have to offer. Some great advice here. Before we say goodbye, do you have any final parting words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information where we can find all of the things that we've talked about today. Yeah, I just think with what we talked about, like those yes, no, and help words, I just encourage the listeners, is there something in your life that you need to say yes to, you know, regarding like your purpose or leaving this legacy? Or are there things that maybe you need to say no to so that you can do those things? And then lastly, is there an area in your life where you do need help in? Because I think it's, again, don't be ashamed of that, you know, be Mm -hmm. willing to ask for help because you asking for help, it could develop a friendship with someone. It could help your kid grow. There's so many good benefits that can come from that. Yeah. And I think in our Pinterest world anymore, we, that's even more scary to ask for help. You know, we have to almost put forth this perfect persona, but asking for help doesn't mean that we are flawed in any way. <laughs> so yeah. And it actually yeah. gives other people permission then to ask for help. Like we can model that to other people. That's great. And that's a wonderful model, even just for our kids. Like we talked about that whole idea of like being that mentor for our children of how to live a healthier life or a better life for sure. That's great. Do you have any other words you want to say and then give us your contact information? Yeah, I think that's it. It's been such a joy to be with you, Rebecca. And people can find me at katiemreed.com. Read is R-E-I-D. It does not follow the I before E except after C rule. So it's very confusing. And I'm on Instagram, Facebook, KDM Read. And then they can find my book Made Like Martha at madelikemartha.com. And they actually can read chapter one for free over there. So you can get a taste of that. It's, it is great. I love that, that you offer that. Also coaching services too is on your website, right? Yep. They can well. find out more information about that as well. That's great. Again, we've been talking with Katie Reed. She's the author of Made Like Martha. You can find her pretty much everywhere. She's on, you know, she has her, her website, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube as well. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, connected with the Loomis Mind and talking to us about these important topics of being a doer and how to make our life a lot more intentional. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to the Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.